Yo, Katie, tell them what they're about to listen to. Alright guys and girls, today's episode is all about making your lane. There are certain people in life who do not seek permission or wait for an opportunity to go for what they want to achieve. And there are certain people who don't believe in walls. They don't believe that there are certain systems that have been created that can hold them back. If they see a wall in front of them, they will find a way around that wall. Worst case scenario, they smash through it. Alright? One of such people is on this episode today. His name is Femi Oyenira, and I'm hoping that by the end of this podcast, you guys will be inspired or at least motivated. And if you've been on the path to creating something or making your own lane or road, hopefully you'd be able to restart that juice that got you going in the first place, you know? So, some of the feedback I got from the previous episode was I needed to read the profiles of the guests and, you know, introduce the guests to the listeners a bit more, pique the interest a little bit. I think it's a great idea. So, without further ado, here is Femi's profile. Femi Oyeniro is an award-winning actor and filmmaker who has starred in British films including Kiddledhood and Anotherhood. His first feature film as a director, It's A Lot, was released in 2013. In 2015, he produced a series for Sky Living called Venus vs Mars. Same year, he directed a docuseries about fatherhood in the black community starring the legendary Spike Lee, Trevor MacDonald and British MP David Lamy. His 2016 feature film The Intent was released to unprecedented success. Now, one thing you need to know about the intent was it was independently financed and independently distributed by Femi and his partner, Nikki Slimton. The intent one ended up at number three on the iTunes movie chart. Big. The intent one was followed up by a prequel, The Intent 2, The Comma, which was a commercial success and picked up Best Film at the MVISA Awards as well as three awards at the National Film Awards. Both films are available on Netflix. He was also tapped up by the iconic Idris Elba to write an episode of his Netflix original series, Torn Up Charlie. Oh, and also he's got a producer credit on the Sky Atlantic show with Tim Roth called Tin Star. Big. With keen interest in politics, Femi has appeared on the Daily Politics, BBC Radio 4's The Today program and BBC Breakfast, as well as a regular newspaper reviewer on Sky News Sunrise. Oh, and that's not all. He was also the commissioner of the Speaker of the House of Commons Digital Democracy Commission, making recommendations on how parliamentary democracy in the United Kingdom can embrace the opportunities afforded by the digital world. He recently delivered a TEDx House of Parliament talk about youth offenders he worked with to create films called Prison Democracy. Honestly, this brother has been busy, so I'm not going to bore you guys any longer. Oh, and let me know how I did with the profile read, okay? <laughs> Thanks. Let's get into the meat of the conversation, all right? This is my chat with Femi Oyeniron on the O. Yeah, that is my name. That's your name, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I saw one of your interviews where you had to, I think you came up with a system to show people how to pronounce your last name. I was like... I've got a whole system. It's funny. I hear you, bro. I hear you. But you know, you know how it is, man. I don't even bother people, bother letting people know what my full name is because no one is going to get it, bro. What's the point? What's your full name? Ogodinife Okboe. Ogodinife. Yeah, Ogodinife. That's good. That's good. One of the first Yoruba men that's got it right, actually. Really? I'm serious, bro. Honestly. 
That's embarrassing of us, man. What you'd find out is even when you try to correct most Yoruba people, they wouldn't make the effort. They'll 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 say what they think they've heard, but they wouldn't get it. Like you'd be like, bro, I just I just told you. But anyway, it's all good. It's one of those states. Bro, thanks for joining me, man. What's happening, bro? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Listen, man, you've got an amazing resume, right? Uh, first, it's all right. It's not bad. There's still so much more I want to do. I know, I know, I know. So, first of all, let me ask you, how old are your kids? <laughs> That's funny. My, I've got two sons. Um, they're eight and seven. My my eight-year-old is um nine in September. So, yeah, two boys. Two boys. Eight. <laughs> Eight and seven. So how how do you manage this whole thing, man? Because you're a very busy guy, and it's a young family. You're your own boss, and you're juggling all this. With like, how do you cope? How do you manage? I think for me, it's it's um it's sort of um I just do the best I can, and I don't blame myself. You know, I don't I don't get stressed out of what I'm not doing. Sure. Before I, I used to get really stressed out and really worked up about you know what I'm not doing and my failings as a father and all of these things, but now I, I sort of I just accept that I can't do everything. Mm. I just do the best I can, and that's it. To be honest, I'm not really um. That's it, you know. So like you know, my kids might grow up and say, you know what, actually, daddy was a terrible dad. Like, but you know, that's <laughs> really wow, wow. So well, I, I wouldn't say I am like, you know, I try my best for them. I do the yeah. best I could possibly do like, and they know that. And I made sh- make sure that they know that, you know? So yeah. 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 Well, that's interesting, man. That's interesting because you'd, you'd get the whole thing about work-life balance, isn't it? And mm. a lot of people would want to make it a big deal. You know, I just feel like, I just feel like, you know, work life life balance is, is like, you know, sometimes I'm working a lot. Other times I'm not. Yeah. Other times I'm, I'm like, literally I'm around a lot. Yeah. Times I'm not around a lot, you know, and sometimes I'm I'm in other countries. It's really difficult for my kids sometimes. It's difficult for my wife sometimes. But I mean like my family just have to accept that that's what I have to do to make us get by. That's what I have to do to make us money, you know. So Yeah. Alright, um let's talk about the very beginning, right? Because mm. you know, you know your early years and your environment that define you to a certain degree. So mm. I know you're born in Nigeria and then you moved here to a certain age. So talk me through your early life. What was it like? Well, my early life was cool, man. Like you know, I was I was born in Lagos. My dad died when I was one, which is a shame because I didn't really get to know him. Um, um, but I got to know his family. I lived with my mom till I was about five. Yeah. Then I lived with my grandparents in my state in Nigeria, Oshun State. Um, okay. So I, I lived with them um, for for till I was about seven or eight, and I moved back to Lagos um, because my mom had moved to England, and I was going to join her in England when I was ten years old. Yeah. And that's it, really. That's the highlighted version. I mean, my time in Nigeria, I loved it, man. It was the most fun time in my life. I really enjoyed it. I, I can't even. I've got nothing bad to say about my time you mm. know in Nigeria like you know I really I really enjoyed that period of my life because it was just purely fun like you know it's like the most fun place to be a kid I think and especially like you know when you're young you don't really care about there's loads of things you're not really worried about because true, like, you, know, you smile every day you laugh every day you, you jump around and play every day yeah and I, I had a good time with my grandparents man it was a, a really really good time yeah 
If you had stayed in Nigeria, do you think you would have done what you're doing now? Not no? at all. I think, I think coming here, I think, you know, when I was a kid, like, you know, growing up in Nigeria, films weren't attainable. TV wasn't attainable. Sure. Even when I was growing up in England, like, I grew up on a council estate. That wasn't... Uh, TV was TV. It's kind of easier to talk about film and TV now because we, we look at it through the gaze of social media yeah. and the internet and all of these things. But you have to remember, when I was growing up, none of these things... I mean, the internet existed, but I was, like, one of the only kids in my school like to have internet like one of the only kids to have internet and then i was so really early so i think i had internet from when i was about 12 or something maybe even younger maybe 11 mm. and that's because my cousin did microelectronic engineering which is basically coding now yeah but okay like microelectronic engineering basically coding and that's what yeah. my cousin did like you know from early so that's why i knew about computers and stuff but ultimately um um i didn't think it was a it wasn't really I, it wasn't part of my life's plan put it that way okay so obviously you got into england and then at some point you decided to switch from a certain career progression which for me it's i find it quite mind-boggling right because i've spoken to you a few times you're a very intelligent man and i could see the remnant of your your training, the legal side, I could see it, I could I could tell. But why did you make that switch from law to acting? Everyone everyone makes out like a switch. So mm. how it happened was was I was doing my A levels and then I starred in Kidhood. I finished my A levels and when I finished my A levels I was always going to do a law degree. So it was a switch. Mm. So like I Kidhood, which wasn't a massive film and I liked acting. So what you have to, like, the thing is, as a kid, I was an all-rounder, right? So okay. I got grades at every subject. Right. I got A's in everything, right? Mm, okay. Apart from French and <laughs> design and technology, right? I right. got C's in those subjects, but everything else, I got A's. Mm. A-levels, I got A's in everything, right? Mm. Mm. So, like, I'm a kid, I'm getting A's in everything, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I could do anything. <laughs> I hear you, man. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Because, because when you're a kid, you don't specialize. Right? When you're like 16, 17, you're not specialized in anything. Sure. So at that point, technically, I could have done science. I could have done anything. Yeah. At that point, right? And I got A, just put it, I got A in, in drama. And then I did drama at A levels. I got A again. Yeah. So I was interested in drama, but it wasn't like an option that was available to me like that. So mm. I went to an open audition for a movie, Kidhood, and I got the role in the, yeah. in the film. After auditioning, like, over a period of a year, like, six times or something. But I got the role in that movie, and then mm. I was able to build from there. But ultimately, it wasn't like I switched from doing law to acting, because it all kind of happened at the same time. So I did Kidhood. They yeah. didn't have a real estate. They didn't have a distribution deal. Mm. And I went to uni mm. and did... And then it took another 18 months from when I did Kidhood to it coming out. And so, but I was already my first year of my law degree. Okay. So now that you finished the law degree though, you've not, you're not practicing, are you? No, because, because like I said, I was a kid that was an all-rounder, so I could have done anything. So like, yeah. and then what happened was I did the sequel of Kidhood in my final year, adulthood in my final year of university. And I just thought that would have been, a, like, I thought it would have been weird for me, like, to have a film coming out like a week after my graduation yeah. and not try to explore that as a career. 
Oh, okay. And I for the first year, I regretted it, man. Really? Why? Because I didn't get any work. I wasn't making money. I wasn't getting paid. So was it at? Did you at any point say, you know what, I'm done, and then all of a sudden another break came in? You know what? It wasn't even like that. It was like I, I took, I took, I, I said to my parents, I said to myself, I'm gonna take a year out to explore acting, and I just got these small roles. They weren't really going anywhere. I did a play in Edinburgh. It was just yeah. all very mediocre. And I was thinking, right, I've just been, I'm, I was, at the time, I was in, kid, adulthood was the, uh, open at number one in the UK box office. And I was, in that year, after that, my career was very, in a very mediocre place, like nothing was happening. I decided it was best for me to go to law school. So I went to law school when I was, I think, 22. And when I was coming out of law school, I got a row in a film called Demons Never Die. Okay. And, and Another Hood. Mm. Those films made me decide actually, and I did four, three, two, one. I think I had like an extra row in that, or like I was in one scene as a cameo, or some nonsense like that. <laughs> so, We're not gonna go into that one, but yeah, that was a that was an interesting one, man. Honestly, yeah. So yeah. that year, so I left. So after that year, I um I decided that you know what, even though I've just spent ten thousand pounds on law school, I'm not gonna become a lawyer. Mm. I'm gonna um. I'm going to try to um, make films as well as be an actor. That was when I decided that I was going to try and make films. Okay, so you decided to make films and then there are people going to LA. There are people trying to get a break in Hollywood. You're one of those few um, actor producers that have remained in the UK. What was the big decision? Why would you, why, why did you have to make such a move to say... Money. Like, I didn't have money to go to LA. Like, that, that's all it was, money. No, really? I, I didn't even think to go to LA because I saw that there was opportunity here. Okay. Like it's like, why is everyone like the thing is now I make like I'm making inroads to LA, but I just thought there's opportunity here. Like who's making the content for young people here? Who's making the content for black people here? Who's making the content for working class people here? Sure, like, sure, both, sure. Both going to LA, man. Hollywood, Hollywood is not a geographical place. Um, is is not one geographical place. Hollywood is a mind state. Hollywood is like you know global. Yeah. You know? And so like you can affect the film industry without catching a plane to go to LA. But but you know if at the time if I I don't know I just didn't think to go to LA. It didn't occur to me. But people weren't going to LA then. This is the thing again. You're looking at it from the perspective of now. Hmm. Mm. Back then, only a male was in LA. No one had gone to LA at that point. Not from our gen, from my generation. Only a teen had gone to LA at that point. Like no one else had gone to LA. Nobody. But the industry, but the industry at that time, there's a struggle to get any kind of decent role for black people. So what kept you guys going? Because I would have thought you would look at it like, where is the, where is the opportunity? Where is it happening for me? No, but I wanted to create that opportunity. That's why I started making my own. Films. That's why that's why I decided to start making my own films. I decided the only way for me to remain in this country is to make my own content. The only way for me to remain, not even in this country, in this industry, is to make my own content. Otherwise, I couldn't remain in this industry. Not the UK industry per se, like the film industry in general, or the film, yeah, yeah, but the film yeah. industry because I'm I'm I could be a lawyer. Remember, I've got a law degree from the London sure. School of Economics now. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, I've got 
it's not like I've got a mediocre law degree from a mediocre uni. I've gone to a good uni. Yeah. So I could be a lawyer at this point. And so, remember, I'm thinking of my life also, not from the prism of, mm. of film or entertainment industry. I'm thinking yeah. of my life like my best friend from uni now works for the biggest law firm in the world. Wow. Right? As of today, right? And you guys and, went to the same uni, right? I'm no, that's my best friend. Like, you know, like, and we went to the same uni. I met him on the first day of university, right? Wow. He works for one of the biggest law firms in the world, right? Yeah. And so, I've got loads of people that I went to uni with that are barristers because I did, you know, we I went to a good uni, right? Yeah. And so I'm thinking I could be exploring that. Mm, mm. I would have gone and become a lawyer before I went to LA. Right, right. At this point in my life. Do you ever, for the past, I mean, say last decade, have you ever at any point said, man, I should have, I should have tried this barrister thing, man. Like now you, you talked about this, you're mate. I'm 33, right? Yeah. Now... I'm 23, say, when I decided that, nah, this is it. I can't do anything else, right? Mm, mm. Once I set my mind on something, I don't stop and until I turn it into a success. Um, I used to say, yeah, maybe in later life I'll become a barrister. But who knows? Maybe, who knows? But I don't think, at the moment, my trajectory, there's still, there's just so much. I, I feel like each year I grow in my understanding of film and the film industry and my capabilities and what I can do, what value I can bring. Yeah. And so for me, I love what I do, like, you know, and I get paid to make up stories. That's mad. That's mad. I know, I know. It's quite unrealistic, actually, for a lot of people, you know? Yeah. And also, I think the possibilities, um, I might be reaching by saying this, but the possibilities for what you're doing is a lot more interesting and mm. almost limitless compared to the legal profession in that what sense. I- what I do is excite. What I do, I mean, I've got friends that are lawyers that love what they're doing, they enjoy sure. what they're doing and all of that, and it's exciting for them. Yeah. I like you know, some of my friends are writing banking codes for countries and stuff like that, you know? Mm, like, mm. They're, they're doing project finance and they're doing all these crazy deals that they start telling you about it, you get a headache, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But ultimately, like, you know, I enjoy what I do, man. I love what I do. It's not, it's not, I don't do it because it makes me money. I don't do it. Obviously, it's good to make money because I've got a family and I have to feed them. Yeah. I don't do it because, like, I, I could, I don't have nothing else to do. Mm. I do it because I love what I do. Amazing, man. So now let's go into your first creation as a director. It's a lot. Obviously, from what you've said, you wanted to create something for the industry. Basically, you wanted to create your own material. Um, and you decided to go with It's A Lot of Comedy. Mm. How did this film come about? Like, in terms of the story, in terms of the so financing? Lot, what, happened, what happened with It's A Lot was, before I did Another Hood, before I went to law school, before I did all of this, I met a guy called Nicky Slimting. Yeah. And he had a deal for a film called Money and Grime. Now, I didn't want to make Money and Grime because I felt it was too street, it was too similar to Kid Hood, it was all of those things. Yeah. I, and then, But he pitched me a treatment for another film, It's A Lot. And I liked it. And so what happened was I was on the set of Another Hood. Yeah. And I knew it was going to be a hit. And so I said to Nikki, listen, I messaged, I found him. We'd lost touch at that point, And I had this treatment on my laptop still. And so I messaged, I said, Nikki, I'm going to turn this treatment. I messaged him on Facebook. I found him on Facebook. Wow. By accident as well. I wasn't even looking for him. It was like Facebook, you know, Facebook suggests people that you might know. Yeah, yeah. So Facebook suggested him and I, I, I saw him on Facebook and I said, Nikki, 
I've got an idea for how I can get this film made. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to turn it into a script. Yeah. And I'm going to try to figure out how to raise money for it. And um, hmm. that's that's what we did for 18 months. Wow. No Facebook, no Femi and Nikki. Fact, because I lost his number. I didn't have his number. Wow. I don't think I... Like, that was the only way I got in contact with him. He sent me his number. I had a screenshot Mm. Of that page actually on my on my desktop for a long time, but I've got a new laptop now, so I don't have it anymore. Wow, that's memories, man. That's memories. That's sick. So eighteen months, it's a lot. Independently financed, it's a lot. Kind of wasn't. Okay. It's a lot. Wasn't independently financed. It, it's a lot. Was funded by a distribution company yeah. called Kaleidoscope that set up a. There was a SEIS scheme that the government set up. I don't know if people still use them anymore, actually, for films. But SEIS scheme that was set up that people took advantage of um, to fund films at the time. And this um, this distribution company, after messing us around, actually, for about I think I signed maybe about three or four agreements with this company, and wow. eventually signed this agreement, and they breached every <laughs> single one until this one agreement. And um, they funded the film um, and for, I think, 150, 200K. Okay. And that was funded through a SEIS scheme that was created by a producer, a mm. distribution company, and some investment angels. So for you, when all that came together, were you very savvy about the inner workings of the film business? No, it's a lot of experience trying to raise money for 18 months not making mm. any money going into town for meetings every day with all the major distribution companies and even the smaller ones i literally met everyone and learned everything i mm. could about film in those 18 months i spent 18 months basically doing practical film school what's your film business school bro yeah literally okay now it's a lot it was done it came out how was it man how was it received what, what was what was your experience the first few weeks of release <laughs> It was rubbish. It, it didn't do well. It didn't do well. How like, bad was, was it, bro? How bad was it? I can't remember, but that was like the most disappointing moment of my life because probably that was like the first thing I'd, I failed at in life. Wow. Really? That was the first time I'd failed in life, probably. In a major way. Because remember, I'm an A student. Yeah. I'm kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. Like, I'm, I wouldn't say I was the coolest guy in school, but I'm kind of cool. I had fights all the time. I was... I was kind of an all-rounder. You know, like I was one of those kids that I could just... I felt like I could do anything. Yeah, and yeah. I, in the car park, um, when the film opened, um, <clears throat> outside the cinema. Yeah. And my friend went into the cinema to see how many people had bought tickets, and only four people had bought tickets on the opening night of my film. Four people? Was yeah, I was devastated. Wow. Did it? Did the numbers ever go up? Do you think the numbers ever went up afterwards? It was, it was a flop. It was a failure. Wow. Wow, wow. Now, how did you get your confidence back, bro? Because honestly, that would have been 18 you know, months. Do you know what was mad, though? No, but at that point, it wasn't 18 months. By that point, it was like two and a half years of my life. But that's what I'm saying. So it's even worse. So it's two and a half years. You go in. And I'm 13. Yeah. And I'd, I'd started, I left law school. I finished law school and I decided that was what I was going to do. So I finished law school, I think, in 2011. Yeah. 2010 maybe i can't remember 2010 or 2011 when i finished okay. law school. no 2010 i finished law school right okay and so so it took me like from 2010 to 2013 man of making very little money trying to hustle to make my first film 
All right, let me let me let me, let me give the listeners perspective, bro. You're in a law school, a student. You're smashing grades, right? I mean, you went to London School of Economics. It's a really good school. Two and a half years, spend your time trying to get a film done. It gets to the cinema, bombs. Three years, bro. Now, most people would say, you know what? This is not this is not for me, man. Yeah, but I I don't fail at anything. Even even though I fail once, I need to figure out a way to conquer it. I can't be a failure. I hear that's, you. I hear you. That's not my story. Like I, I, it's the thing. I was disappointed. I remember sitting in the cinema. I said, you know what? I'm never gonna let something I want so much make me feel like this again in my life. Mm. I, I remember. I mean, it was difficult, man. It was a difficult time, again. And this is the thing. It's easy to talk about success, um, to failings afterwards. But yeah. At the time, it was like a void, and so I remember like. But it was good to have, like, partner. So me and Nikki were talking a lot in that period. And I, I remember me and Nikki had, um... At that point, I think me and Nikki had, like, spent about three years talking to each other almost every day. And I remember, like, we had this conversation. Nikki was like, I think we should make a road film, like, and put some <laughs> rappers in it. And, like... And, like... Nice. I think we should make a road film, put some rappers in it, make it about street life and make yeah. it, like a crime film and all of that. And I think he thought I was going to say no. Because, you know, I'm more like, oh, no, let's do something different. Da, 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 da. Like, let's yeah. not do stories. And I was like, yeah, I think that will work. And he was like, really? I was like, yeah, I think we should do that. That's what we should do. And he was like, oh, I think <clears> we should <throat> raise money from some of the man them that I know. I was like, yeah, cool, let's do that. Hmm. Was that because of the failure of It's A Lot? If It's A Lot did well, would you have switched... Or would you have stayed on the lane of, uh, you know, stuff a maybe. bit more? Yeah? Maybe. Maybe. Mm. But because it's a lot, it's a lot was the best thing to happen so early in my career, in filmmaking career, because it was like, it showed me that one I had to make, I can't, there's there's no way you should spend 18 months trying to hustle one film. You should have lots of films. Okay. You should have a slate. You should always have a slate. You should always mm. have like three films minimum. That mm. you're trying to hustle. If you're a producer, Mm. Or even a director, you should always have like three films. You shouldn't just have one film that you're trying to raise money for. Like, it. it doesn't make sense. Like it's nonsense. Because all those people I was meeting, if I had like three films, I could have probably got three deals or like two mm. deals. Mm. Do you get what I'm saying? And, no, like, definitely. So you should never have one film. Yeah. So like three films fully packaged or three films at script stage. What what stages matter. would you? I don't really care what stage they are, mm. as long as they're three films. So, like, when you're having a conversation with people, you're yeah. not just talking about, oh, my whole life is this one film. I think that's ill-advised. Mm. And also, I also think um, it's a lot taught me that we could just, we were better being independent because anything good that happened with us a lot happened because of us. Really? Like, most of the locations I got, I paid, I remember the distributors, like, made me pay for the poster campaign. Wow. Like, it was just rubbish. It was like, I'm... Um, you know what? I started writing a book. It's funny I'm having this conversation. Like me and Nikki, like been talking about writing a book for a long time, and I started planning it out today. And I obviously my my train of thought yeah. had to go through this. It's a lot thing again. Yeah, and like, yeah. And like you know, like literally, I'll even like I've not even this is not published. This is like stuff that I wrote today. Yeah, go for it, I'll man. Go, I'm, I will actually read. Like obviously, it's not edited. It's not the book. But yeah, yeah. You no. Know, this is an exclusive, man. Let's, let's hear yeah, that. I, the success of actor turned screenwriter Noel Clark and the rest of the kid team 
mm. laid the foundation for others to create their own films. Adam Beacon with Another Hood, Plan B with Ill Manners, and Jamie Winston with Elfie Hopkins. Seeing people that he knew foreign into filmmaking was the final push Femi needed to attempt to make his first film. Equipped with a seven-page seven synopsis for a comedy drama written by Nikki, Femi set about turning it into a script and raising the finance for the film. Up until this point, Femi had enjoyed being successful at most things he worked hard on. The assumption was filmmaking also followed this pattern. He was mistaken. It took Femi and Nikki 18 months to raise the finance to make their first film, It's a Lot. In those 18 months, a 24-year-old Femi got married and had his first son. It would have probably been easier to get a training contract at a corporate law firm. Looking back, both this period of raising finance to make It's a Lot as a crash course in the film business. Boys mm. were so disappointed with the distribution and marketing process of the film that they decided it was best to take all the lessons learned back mm. to a more independent approach to filmmaking. This is stuff that I wrote today, even be- without this conversation. Do you know what I mean? This is like, you know... Well, this is good, man. I mean, I believe, you know, I'm a man of faith, bro, honestly, and I believe this is something that it's very timely, right? And it, that book needs to be that book needs to be completed, honestly. You're mentally strong, but a lot of people are not. And once they see the situations you've been in, that's enough inspiration. You're 24, just married, um, a student, you've gone through school, you had, basically you had a lot of things going for you, right? But you decided to do a film and you spent three years with a partner and the film didn't work out. Now, where do you find strength in that? You know, which is, which is really, really, which is something a lot of people can't even grasp. You understand what I'm saying? Because you had choices, you know, some people would say, oh, and it's a, I, I'm doing this thing, I'm succeeding because I didn't have any choice. I didn't have any fallback plan. You had a fallback plan, but you're like, Mm-mm, this is not for me. Because I like being successful. This is the thing. I've been watching this Michael Jordan thing. Michael yeah. Jordan, The Last Dance. And like, the thing is... That's a sick one, yeah. He just did whatever he wanted, to, he needed to do to be successful. And like, for me, like, you know, there's out of certain principles, I like to be nice, I care about other people. I don't yeah. think I'm as mean as Michael Jordan. But what I, I could relate to in him was that, you know, I just like winning. I like being successful as a person. Yeah. And for me, if I, if I failed once, didn't mean I wasn't going to come back again. And like, you know, but in terms of like, in that situation, it was good. Like important, I had God, I had mm. my family, didn't turn their back on me. Right. I had, I had like, me and Nikki were going through it together. So it wasn't yeah. like, it was like me and Nikki went through that process of going through it together. That you know, that's a question I wanted to ask you. Like, what were those things that kept you going? Because you, you keep saying, you know, you love having, you, you you want to be successful. You have a successful mindset. So the three things that actually make, not even three, like what are those things that make it up? So you've said God, you've said family, and you've got, you have a, basically what I'm hearing is a good support system. No, absolutely. You know? Listen, if you believe in God, right? Like, yeah. not everyone does, but sure, well, sure. If you believe in God, like for me, I believe in God, right? Yeah. Like, I, that anything's possible. I hear you. Like, I hear you. Like anything, though. I hear you. Like, and so I believe I can do anything, mm. right? I believe not because I'm like I think I'm some superhuman or anything. Yeah. Just because I believe, like you know, if God wills for me to do this thing, then it will happen. And I always mm. apply life like that. And also, um, 
I'm a very present person. Like, you know, I, I think about that. I plan, you know, when you have kids, you have to start planning them about the future a little bit more. But sure. in life, I'm very present. I like to, I, I think about the now. I don't really worry. I try not to worry about the past. I mean, that probably has been wired into me because my dad died when I was one. That creates a different kind of animal. Like, I just feel like you become wired differently. Like, you mm. don't, you, your mentality, like, listen, like, when I was growing up, I was like, what are you going to do to me? Kill me. Mm, if I'm mm. dead, yeah, I'm, I can still go. Like, it's go season. Like, do you get what I'm saying? And so, yeah, for, yeah. I've always had the mentality of, like, you know what? Like, I, I'm going to do what I want as long as, like, God wills. Yeah. I've got, like, you know, my family. I, I'm not going to underestimate, like, you know, my wife, me and my wife had just got married at the time. So, we're still getting to know each other and stuff like that in, yeah. in a close way. And like she was very supportive, man. And my mom's super supportive. Yeah. My mom was super supportive. My mom's like, you know, she's like, everyone says their mom's the best mom, but my mom's obviously she rides for me, man. She's done a lot. And even my little sister. Mm. My little sister, like, you know, to the point when we made the intent, we couldn't get our next film, the intent. We couldn't get a distribution deal for it. For the intent. Yeah, so like, so remember, it's a lot came out in two, October two thousand and thirteen. They okay. kept changing the release date, right? Mm-hmm. And by December, we were ready to go again. Mm. Remember, I went to Nigeria early two thousand. No, maybe February two thousand fourteen. I can't remember when I went to Nigeria. Came back, and then Nikki had the first draft of the script. Yeah, and I took it from there. And then I, he had, no, he had like the first 40 pages or something. And then I took it from there and I carried on working on it. Yeah. And then, um, and then we just embraced it almost like as that partnership, like he done his bit, I done my bit and then just kept working on it and refining it. Mm. And then, um, we put together a budget. We just put lots of things just worked in our favor. Like, you know, we, we managed to cast it with like, you know, people like Crept and Conan before they became megastars, like, put Fecky in it before he became me a big like you know we did a lot of things that worked in our favour yeah but you know it wasn't like we were grieving for a long time it was like we decided we we're going to do something else by Christmas mm. film came in October mm-hmm. okay so now you guys got uh, the intent the intent was about to come out um, and you casted Crepton Conan Scorcher and Obviously, let's be honest, there's been conversations about, all oh, the whole not casting actors to lead the film. There's loads know. of actors in the intent. I'm, an, I'm, I'm one of the biggest British actors, mm. black one. Yeah. Like, this is what people always forget. I'm one of the biggest black British actors in England. Facts. Yeah, yeah Actual, 100%. It's not even, and I've been in like some of the biggest black British films in England. I'm in the intent. Like, people talk about or there's no actors in it. What actors, like, what What actors are not in it? Like, Dylan Duffus was in One Day. Like, he was one of the leads of One Day. Um, there's, like, loads of actors in it. It was just, like, obviously, we... This is the thing. People will say this, right? And they'll say, yeah, Juice is my favourite film. Yeah. They'll say Boys in the Hood's my favourite film. And this is society, yep, yep. They'll say... They're not, <laughs> people with their big, dirty mouth, they will say, oh, why are you <laughs> actors, right? But yeah. then they would say they were actually in the same mouth. Say, yeah, I love Juice. I yeah. love Painful. Yeah, yeah. In the hood. I love Above the Rim. But why? Why do you love these films? Like, who's in it that made you like it? Who, who, who do you think they put in these films to make people yeah. like them? 
it, I just feel like, I just feel like the general vibe is like, oh, and also we put rappers in it because we knew that was our target demographic. And we knew, mm. I know, right, if I put an actor that has no following in my film, mm-hmm. yeah, and I put a rapper like Scorcher that can actually act. Mm. Yeah, he was decent, man. He was decent. No, yeah. Scorcher was in a first top boy, first season of top boy. He was one of the best people in it, right? Mm. That mm. can actually act in my film, that also yeah. have the music following in my film. Who are people going to be more excited to watch in my film? Win win, obviously. Obviously. So like, it's like people forget, like, you know, films, like when you go and watch a film, right? With a, Would you rather go and watch a film with an unknown actor or Leonardo DiCaprio? I think you'll still go for Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, it's a popular name. Because he's a brand name. Yeah. So you're asking me, do I do I want to align brand names to my project or not? When I don't have no marketing, when I don't have any industry support, when I'm yeah. creating a project by myself to sell out of the boot of my car. That yeah. was the end. We made the film to sell it independently. Yeah. And the film was so good by the time we made it that we were like, oh, this deserves a big distribution deal. And we yeah. didn't get one because the distribution companies were racist and said they didn't want to release black hoodie films at the moment because urban films at that point were dead they were not doing good business really what is the same guys you did it's a lot with or is this a different set of people what you have to remember i've been in the film industry since i was 17 years old so i basically know everyone in the film industry behind the scenes bro i know had relationships at all the different distribution companies and we sent the film to every single distribution company and they either didn't get back to us or i later found out from a third party one of them said, we're not doing any black hoodie films at the moment. Is that racist? Man. I hear you, though. I hear you. I hear you. Is that racist you. or not? So th- oh, no, no. 100% racist, man. So that's it. It's not It's not like It's not like. Um, I'm making this up or whatever. Like It's just actual. Yeah. What happened. But, but, let's, but let's play devil's advocate on that, right? Now, at that time because obviously you had the numbers then at that time were they urban films that were actually successful financially do you think they had been like all the films that I'd been in up until that point successful but urban like I said urban films had were going through a tough time sure so were all other independent films do you get what I'm saying so mm, it's almost mm. like different standards apply to black people and black content all the time hmm Black mm. content all the time has to like make the most money it's ever made. Otherwise, it's not allowed to exist. White content could just always not white content. I hate to call it that, but for no, I hear you though. Yeah, non-black content. Call it white content, right? Or mainstream content, right? For ease of reference, mm. right? That type of content could just be mediocre. And no one complains, and that type of content gets funded again. Yeah, could it, could it be like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of mainstream non-black content out there? So it's almost like oh, you've got everything, but then the few black content that pops up, you expect a lot Listen, from it. Black content you know? is expected to like be good, to be the best ever, mm-hmm. to also give a true portrayal of black people, to make millions, millions mm-hmm. of pounds. There's just too much. There's too much expectation mm. on black people and black filmmakers all the time to deliver. Mm. No, true, it's true. I think it's just because it's not enough of it. So people just kind of like gravitate towards that one thing coming out. Like, oh, this better be our savior, you know? No, but it's just for black people. It's white people have that expectation. Mm. White people in the industry expect black filmmakers and black content to answer every single question. Whereas white content, it just has to be good. 
Mm. There's a lot mm. of content that mm. gets funded that everyone knows before it gets funded that it's not even going to make any money. So why would they make it? Is it just like fulfilling like fulfilling a quarter like or it. a favor? So they like it, or it's like it's it's not even because it's going to make money. Or they like, but they can't relate to the black content because they didn't grow up around it. There's no, it's not. There's no ease of reference. Okay. And also distribution so, in the UK is white. There's no black people in distribution. None. None. What about like you know Asians people of Listen, color basically? I'm telling you. There's no, mm. I, maybe there's Asians, but I look for black people in it. Like, there's, off the top of my head, there's no black. I've been to most of the major distribution companies and I've met a receptionist mm. that was black and I've met a paralegal that was black. That's it. Also, and, uh, this Matt. is not me saying, oh, there should be. I'm not even like, like, people can hire who they want. But I'm just you. saying, like, if you're going in there with black content, like, that's how it's going to be received. Like, it's just from another planet sometimes. So would, would you say the big issue now for, like, black content would be more distribution side of things or... I think funding and distribution. Right, right, right. I black filmmakers don't know enough about funding. Mm. Don't know about enough about the business. That's why I'm, like, I'm grateful for that. It's a lot, period. Mm-hmm. Where even though we didn't raise the money in eighteen months, we just learned everything about the business. Right, 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 right. Now you now went from all these films, and you decided to double down on mm-hmm. the intent too, yeah, by going to Jamaica, shooting a bit more in London with a bigger budget, and partnering mm-hmm. with a record label. Now from two guys who self-finance, you know, obviously got money from mates for the first film for Intent. But well, you guys did that. Got your own distribution. We didn't get distribution. We distributed it ourselves. I think that's one of my biggest victory in the film industry. Independently financed, independently yeah, bro, distributed. That's one of my biggest successes ever in life. Nice. Talk me through that, bro. Like, bro, we, was it like a get, middle finger to the distributors type thing? Bro. It wasn't a middle finger. It was like we'd already borrowed money from our mates, and if we didn't deliver, we owed these people money right i hear you i hear you and so you know we decided to raise money i remember my sister put up money i put up money like loads of us like nikki put up time and money like because yeah we raised money from one of them we went back to the investors like you know we did all sorts to put that film out and we released it independently and a lot of people don't even think we released it in intent independently guys i hope you've been enjoying the episode so far that is the end of part one all right part two is going to be out in a few days and trust me it goes deeper than this like femi talks about how they're able to market and promote the film diy style i mean i honestly think they should make a movie about that honestly femi if you listen to this honestly bro make that stuff into a movie bro i also asked him about future projects and also his collaboration with the one and only idris elba um femi gave us a bit of insight into how the collaboration came about and also so the mind of the man Idris so if you guys enjoyed this episode please subscribe and follow on iTunes Spotify and SoundCloud just type VO podcast the link is on the show notes and as usual your feedbacks will be greatly welcome all right guys cool thanks for lending me your ears and your time you've been listening to Mr. O and this is the O, o.